Father, as we continue to look at prayer, I'm asking for your encouragement this morning that you would teach us by your Spirit that we would pray more, that we would grow in relationship with you, and that the kingdom of God would become our everyday experience. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. So I have never really been good with my lawn. I usually have more weeds than grass in my lawn. And that has been how it has been since I have had a lawn. Now I did something different though. See, my issue was this. I would go to Home Depot and I'd walk into the section where you know all of the fertilizers and the weed killers and all that stuff is, and then I'd get completely overwhelmed and have no idea what I was doing and leave. It's just so big. It's like so much. This year, finally, I did it differently. I happened to walk in, and there was this guy who was standing with all of that stuff, and he was helping people. And I thought, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to go ask him to help me. And I went and I said, I am a moron. What do I do? And he started walking me through. Like, well, get this one first. It does this. Go ahead and put this on your lawn now, actually. And in six weeks, this one right here. And it does this. And then in two months, or something like that, take this, put the, I listened carefully, put this on your lawn. And, and I did it. And here's the amazing thing. For the first time in my life, I have a lawn that has more grass than weeds. Now, as I was leaving today, I noticed, so there is this one weed, and, and this weed and I are locked in an epic battle of good and evil right now, and it was about this tall, one strand. It's like flipping all of my neighbors off. But that's it. That's the one, because there's a lot of grass, and all it took was somebody just practically kind of walking me through, how do I do this? Here's what I've been trying to do in prayer. What's the essence of prayer, week one? What's the attitude that we bring to prayer, week two? What's the key? What kind of holds it together, week three? This Sunday and next Sunday, I want to do nuts and bolts. I want to try to do for you what was done for me in taking care of my lawn, but with prayer. Because here's what I know. I know people come to prayer and they feel overwhelmed and they wonder, what do I say? And well, I kind of said that and is that it? That took me 26 seconds and I'm done. Or I keep asking over and over again for this. Is there anything other than asking for this thing over and over again? What is it? And so today I'm gonna take us through a couple of prayers in the scriptures and I want us to look at what they were doing so that we can bring that into our prayers and do the same thing, knowing, as we talked on day one, Father, that's how Jesus started it. It's relational. Our prayer is meant to be relational. Number two, humility. That's how I approach him. And number three, I come in faith. Believing God, not believing my prayers, not believing he's gonna answer everything I want, but I'm believing in him. And with that, what do I say? 
right, open your Bible, if you would, or you can just listen, I'll read, to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple of prayers, and we're going to see what they were doing when they prayed, and see if we might learn from it. Numbers chapter 13, I mean, sorry, Numbers chapter 14, and verse 13. I'm going to reverse my thing there. It's not 13, 14, it's 14, 13. Numbers 14, verse 13. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard of you, O Lord. You're in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face. And your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. Here's what I want you to notice so far. There's no petition yet. He's not actually asked for anything. And, and here's the key for my first point, and this is gonna sound strange to you, but I want you to hear it. Tell God about God. That's what he's doing. I mean, everything he's saying, God could be sitting up there going, and? Like, I'm aware of that. Yes, I did do that. Yes, I did do that. Yes, I am like that. Yes, I guarantee you he's not. Because this is actually a pattern of prayer, telling God about God. And here he starts telling God, I mean, this is what you have done. Um, This is what they may think of you. This is what people have heard of you. This is what you're doing again. You're doing these things here. If you do do this, then this may happen. But he's not done. Not only is he going to tell God about God, but verse 16, uh, sorry, 17, and now please let the power of the Lord be great As you have promised, saying, okay, there's our petition. Let the power of the Lord be great. But notice what he connects it to. Saying, and then your Bible should have quotes there. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation. That's a quote that God gave to Moses. So now what he's doing is not only he's telling God about God, but he's specifically requesting something based on what God has said about himself. And he's quoting it back. Now, I don't think he's quoting it like this. You've probably all been in a situation where like, maybe you're getting in trouble and somebody says to you, well, you said, and then they quote you back. It's not that. Nor is it, well, God, you said this, so you have to do this. That is not the way Moses is approaching this. Moses understands who God is and what's important to God because God has told him. And he essentially says, I'm gonna pray for the things I know matter to you. So God, this is what you've been doing. And I'm worried that this will happen like if you don't step in. And Lord, please let your power be great because you've said, like you're the God who abounds in love. And so I just want you to answer this prayer based on who you said you are. That idea you see a number of times. This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1. 
As soon as I heard, and this is verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Notice how he starts. You are the great and awesome God. You're the one who keeps your covenants. Like, you're amazing. You do these things. This is who you are. He tells God who God is. It is a normal way of doing it. And there is a passage in the Psalms, Psalm 9, where David begins the, the, the prayer by actually saying, this is Psalm 9 and verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all your wonderful deeds. And he does it. And, and maybe not all of them, but, but I mean throughout the psalm. He's actually saying, you know, God, you've rescued me from enemies and you've done this thing here and you've done this thing here. He's recounting to God the things God has done. You might imagine yourself coming before the Lord and saying something along the lines. So there's a, a point in the Psalms where God is described as a stronghold. And you could come before the Lord and say, Lord, you, you're the stronghold. You're the protector. And right now, I am under a lot of pressure and I'm afraid. Will you be that stronghold for me? Where I'm coming to God and I'm recognizing who he is and here is why it matters. Hey, why this is important. I'm not just giving you words to fill your prayer up. That's not the point. There's a reason they tell God about God or they quote things that God says, right? A couple of reasons. Number one, it shows that they actually know who God is. They're not just praying to like the man upstairs, the Santa Claus hoping to get something. When they come and they say, Lord, you are like this. Lord, you have done this. Lord, you've acted in these ways. Lord, you've said this. They know who God is. Not only do they know who he is, but it shows that they're speaking to somebody they care about. What is one of the biggest ways that we show somebody that we care for them? We get to know them, right? I mean, it's one thing to give a gift, but what means the most to us when people come to know us when they actually have taken the time to know what I like or don't like, when they've sat with me and listened, what does it take to be able to tell God about God? You gotta know him, right? It shows that we know him. And along with that, it guides our prayers. I mean, if you are telling God about God because you know who God is and you love the Lord and this is showing some of that love, you're also asking according to what you know he is. So what are you gonna ask for? Things in line with God. I mean, it actually has a, a logical thing to it. It's like, well, before I even ask, well, God, what do you like? Well, here's one thing I know about God, or one thing I know about God. God cares about the poor. He says it a lot. Lord, I know that you look out for the poor. And so right now, I'm going to pray for this person right here. Because I know they're in need and I'm gonna ask you to work in their life because I know you care about them because you've said this over and over in your word. I'm praying in line with who God is. 
And lastly, I think it's the best way for us to honor God in our prayers. I mean, notice in Moses' prayer in Numbers, he's actually most concerned, it seems like, for God's honor. God, I don't want them to think that you couldn't do this. And I mean, just think of the, I mean, what does it take for Moses to even think that? Like, God, I just don't want them to think that, like, you were going to fail or something, or like, you couldn't get your people out, because I care so much about your glory and who you are. I mean, all of these things are ways of making our prayers personal, rightly directed. They show our connection and love for God. A couple of years ago, um, and I don't remember if it was for my birthday or for Christmas, uh, because they come, like, I'm, I was born on December 5th, and so it's, like, really close, and over time, sometimes those things kind of meld together. Um, but Aaron got me this gift, and it was a decently expensive gift, and it was, I don't have a good way of saying this, it was super mundane. There was nothing sexy about this gift. Like, this was not, like, some electronic gadget. Um, this wasn't, you know, tickets to the Mavs game or something, she bought me as like my one of or my primary gift a standing desk. And I can tell you when she first was like, yeah, look what I got you. I'm like, oh my goodness, how do I fake be excited about this? <laughs> this is lame. I could have. And then I tried it. See, here's the thing about my job. I spend a ton of time typing whether it's sermons or a bunch of other stuff that I do, a ton. I have back issues, and this is what I do. I would go to my office, which I don't have anymore because I have a fourth child in there now, but I'd go to my office, and I'd type for a while, and I'd start going, oh, God, that hurts, and I'd do this, and I'd do this, and I'd, like, put a leg up, and I'm like, golly, and then eventually I'd get up, and I'd walk to the kitchen, and I'd go to that higher bar, and I'd set my computer on the bar, and I'd stand there and work for a while. Oh, now I'm tired of this. I gotta go back and sit down for a while. It was an incredible gift if you're thinking about what I do for a living and how I spend 40 hours, well, not 40, how I spend a lot of time during my week. <laughs> that gift showed she knew me. And she knew, yeah, sure, I'd loved some gadget that I would have not liked in a year and wanted the next one. But I used that thing for the next couple of years until I no longer had an office because I had a fourth child. That is what we're doing. We're knowing him, and we're praying in light of that. So here's my first thing. My encouragement for you, know God. And when you pray, pray that way. And if you're wondering how to do it, go read one of the Psalms. Go read Psalm 8. And just see the amazing things that God has done in Psalm 8. And then say that back to him before you pray. And then see how it would guide what you pray for. Tell God about God. Number two. And this is going to kind of circle back to the first week where I did a little of this, but I want to expand on it. Genuinely share with God. So get rid of all the kind of formality and the, get rid of the word just, like completely out of your vocabulary when it comes to prayer. You do not need to go God just this and God just that and Father just this and Father. Step back and ask yourself, 
if I were talking to my father, how would I talk? And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Since we're in the Psalms, jump over to Psalm 38. Psalm 38, when you realize this is a guy who really knows his father and believes that his father wants to listen to him and he is going to genuinely share what's going on in his life. Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke, in fact, I'm going to back up. Yahweh. That's that Hebrew word right there. That's the name of God. Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows, they've sunk into me. Your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. My sides, they're filled with burning. And there's no soundness in my flesh. I'm feeble and crushed and I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Have you ever sat down with God and went, God, there is a, there is a hole in my stomach like a pit. And I just, I feel icky and awful. And Lord, what that person said to me, it hurts so badly. And I can't let it go, God. It's just sitting there and it's like stuck in me. God, I need help. I mean, that's what he's doing. He is sharing what's really going on in his heart and his mind and his emotion as he sits before the Lord. And there is no like formality or special anything here. This is, you're my father and things stink right now. I'm gonna tell you about it. And I am actually, from a, from a counseling perspective, I'm amazed at how insightful David is to himself. One of the things that is part of counseling is identifying what you're feeling being able to say, and you'll have a counselor ask you sometimes, how does that make you feel? And that's not just some lame counselor question. You cannot deal with the things in your life as well as when you can voice them. When you can actually notice that's happening. I actually do feel, I feel a lot of anger right now. Like I didn't realize I feel this. You can't deal with it if you don't know what's there. David is so aware of the stuff he's going through. Just read the first eight verses. Even at the point of saying, my side is burning. Being genuinely honest and sharing with God what it is you're going through. There's another example of this, which is kind of interesting. Um, turn over to John 17. We read the first part of Jesus' prayer, sometimes called his high priestly prayer. I want to look at what follows because it has both the telling God about God stuff in it, and then it also has him genuinely sharing. Verse 6 of John 17, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. You have God, this is what you do, did, this is what you're about, and God, they've kept your word. Like, I really don't picture Jesus in this formal kind of monotone, and they have kept your word, oh Lord. <laughs> I picture Jesus like, and they've kept your word. 
Like he loves these people. He loves these disciples. He spent three years with them. And he's excited. Now they know everything that you've given me that you've given me is from you. For I have given them the words you gave me. And they've received them. And they've come to know in truth that I have come from you. And they have believed that you've sent me. This is Jesus sharing with his father. Not just mumbling or saying words he needs to say, but being like, God, they're getting it. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they're yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are, Lord. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And it just goes on. And he's going to pray for their joy. This is sharing genuinely with our Father. For David, it was, I'm a mess, God. Like, I hurt so badly. And for Jesus, it is, I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm coming back to you, Father. And like the ones you've given me have kept your word. And I'm praying for them. I'm excited for them. And I want you to protect them. But he's sharing, honestly. So this is something that C.S. Lewis, he called it unveiling. You know, you think about, you know, covering something and then removing it. He called it unveiling. Um, When he wrote that book, Letters to Malcolm, this is a section out of it. We are always completely and therefore equally known to God. That is our destiny, whether we like it or not. But though this knowledge that God has of us never varies, the quality of our being known can. To be known by God generally is to be in the category of things. God just knows it. We are like earthworms, cabbages, or nebulae, objects of divine knowledge. But when we become aware of that fact and we assent our will to being known, we then treat ourselves in relation to God, not as things, but as persons. And we have unveiled. God, here, this is who I am. And I want you to know that. And I'm sharing that with you. And Lewis himself, he says a bunch more about this, which is really interesting. Um, But this is a little segment of it. He says, if my idea of prayer as unveiling is to be accepted, it is no use to ask God for A, when our whole mind is in reality has a desire for B. You can't be fake with God. We must lay before him what is actually in us, not what we wish or hope or think, but what is real. And Lewis did it. I thought this was really neat. Um, This comes from December 20th, 1961. Lewis wrote a letter to a friend named Bede Griffiths after his friend's wife had died. And this is what he writes. I prayed when I buried my wife, my whole sexual nature should be buried with her. That's a pretty bold prayer there. There's no like formality. He's like, I just want my whole sexual nature to be gone now that my wife has died. And here's what he says. And it seems it's happened. Thus, one recurrent trial has vanished from my life, an enormous liberty. Of course, this could be old age. (laughs) But 
that just like the unveiling, the saying, God, this is actually who I am. This is actually what I'm going through. This is what I feel right now. This really stinks. Lord, I am happy about this and I want you to know. I found a, a number of very short prayers from kids. And usually I say these as like jokes at the beginning of a sermon just to get a laugh. Some of these are funny, but they are what we should be doing. Listen to these little prayers. Debbie, who is seven, dear God, please send a new baby. The one you sent last week cries too much. <laughs> Jimmy, six, dear God, who did you make smarter, boys or girls? My sister and I want to know. Angela, eight, dear God, could you please give my brother some brains? So far, he doesn't have any. I love this, and this kid has no idea how accurate this is. This is Hank, who is seven. Dear Lord, thank you for the nice day today. You even fooled the TV weatherman. <laughs> we need to be honest with God. We need to sit with our Father and talk to him, share with him. In fact, I want to encourage you to talk out loud, to voice, to voice it. My practice has become to go out onto my patio, sit down in the red chair, turn the fan on, because it's hot even at 5.15 in the morning in Texas right now, and to begin to share with God. This is what I'm feeling right now. So I woke up. I had a morning, uh, I think it was last week actually, um, and I just felt miserable when I woke up. And I just shared it with him. This is what I'm feeling right now. I'm kind of angry at this person. I'm upset by this right here. God, I don't know why you haven't fixed this. I got it all out and shared with him. And I said, now Lord, I need your help. I need your help with this. Um, I don't even know what to do in this case, but I trust you. And I began to tell him, because you are trustworthy, because you are faithful, because you've never broken your word. You always hold true to your promises. And you have said you're gonna be with me, and so I'm gonna trust you that even when I don't answer, you're gonna go with me through this. And I'm not kidding you. The rest of my day changed. I don't know what my day would have been like if I had not done that with him. Sat down with my father and shared. And it's become normative. And there are things you can do, and like you will find your prayer life being, maybe it's five minutes long. This morning for me, it was 30 minutes long. Honestly, before practicing prayer in these kinds of ways, I couldn't pray for 30 minutes. My, my, my list of the people to pray for, it wasn't long enough. Because it was just a list. It was a transaction between me and God instead of a relationship. And here's the problem. I believed so long. I, I talked back at the beginning and I said, I do not believe prayer is conversation primarily. But that's always what's attached to the relationship part. So if God's not talking back and forth to you, you must not have much of a relationship with him. And yet the relationship is not God having the conversation. It's you who is always already completely, fully known, but saying to God, I want to share with you. I want you to know who I am and what I'm doing, and I want to share that. And I think at its height, it looks something like this. A man's daughter had asked a local pastor to come and pray with her father. 
When the pastor arrived, he found the man lying in a bed, his head propped up with a couple pillows, and an empty chair sitting beside his bed. So the man walked in, and he said, I guess you were expecting me, pointing at the chair. And the old man in the bed said, no, who are you? Well, I'm the new associate at the local church, the pastor replied. When I saw the empty chair, I figured you knew I was coming to pray with you. And he said, oh, yeah, um, would you mind closing the door? So priest went and closed the door, came back. said, I've never told anyone this, and definitely not my daughter. He said, but all my life, I've never known how to pray. I've struggled with it. And I would listen to the pastors talk about prayer. But I just never knew what to do. It either went over my head or, ever felt this? I felt guilty because I didn't do it right or enough. And I finally abandoned prayer until one day a friend of mine began to share with me. And he said, Joe, prayer is a simple matter of having, telling Jesus about your life. Here's what I suggest. Sit down on a chair and place an empty chair in front of you and in faith, I want you to see Jesus there. It's not spooky. He promised I'll be with you always. Then just speak to him and listen if he wants to talk back. So I tried it, and he said, I have now started doing it, and I have been doing it, and sometimes I will pray a couple of hours in a day. But I'm always careful not to let my daughter see me talking to an empty chair. I'm afraid she'll have a nervous breakdown or she will want me committed. The pastor was deeply moved by the story. That's what I want you to hear. And he encouraged the old guy to continue in the journey. He prayed with him. He returned to church. And two nights later, the daughter called. He said, my dad has passed away. And the pastor said, did he die in peace? Yes, when I left the house around two o'clock, he called me over to the bedside, told me a corny joke like he always does, kissed me on the cheek, and when I got back an hour later, he was gone. But there was something strange, in fact, kind of strange, weird kind of strange. It was apparently just before my dad died, he leaned over and he rested his head on the chair. And that's how I found him. That's the intimacy that God wants with every person in this room. And that is what he gives us in prayer. Let's pray. Father, help us to see you for who you are. Help us to unveil who we are to you. To share the most intimate joyful, challenging things that are in our lives. Help us to sit and just talk with our Father that we might grow in our relationship with you, that we might grow in learning to follow you. And that, Lord, as we go through this life, we might help others who also would struggle with prayer and relationship with you. Thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.